Wednesday, January 24th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. We got a lot to get to, but I suppose we have to start. And I swear to you, I promise we're not going to spend every podcast talking about Trey Young, but you know, he is the story of college basketball, and he had an interesting game on Tuesday night. He only took nine shots. A few days after taking 39 shots in a basketball game, he only took nine shots in an 85-80 win over Kansas. He got 26 points on those nine shots. He was seven of nine from the field, just two of three from three-point range, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. He finished with 26 points, nine assists, four rebounds, and five turnovers. And so it was a good performance and a win over Kansas. I sort of tweeted this last night. is a win over Kansas. Not here to nitpick it, but uh, there has to be – some balance, a happy medium somewhere between 39 shots, which is clearly excessive and probably counterproductive, um, and, and only taking nine shots. He was good last night, obviously intentionally trying to get his teammates more involved, but I don't know that I want the nation's leading scorer and one of the nation's best shot makers only taking nine shots in a game, taking zero three-pointers in the first half. Where are you at on Trey Young's latest performance, Matt Norland? I was pretty captivated by it to be honest he went beyond what I thought he was going to do um, but I don't think he actually I don't think he forced it like if you watch the entire game uh, a lot of the ball movement that he was facilitating was within the flow of the offense like there GP can you remember even two or three times during that game where Trey had a clearly open shot and decided not to take it instead you know continued to dribble or found a pass to another teammate do you remember that right. happening yeah I mean he didn't really it, it wasn't like he was not taking open opportunities uh, in the spirit of deferring no matter what. I mean, they guarded him a very specific way. Um, he just didn't force anything. He had been forcing things. He didn't force a – I don't want to say he didn't force a single thing. Somebody can probably go find some tape somewhere. But he didn't force much last night, which contributed. But still, I don't care. If, if Trey Young never takes uh, single-digit shots again in a game, that would be fine with me. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. Um I was I didn't think now I think by the way we were both right. I think he was he was under points, just barely over in assists and he was under turnover. So I think that's the first time we've both hit the trifecta Trey Young over under this season. Shout out to us. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean anytime we're right we might as well pat ourselves. <laughs> it was uh but l- listen, it was a uh an interesting Showing from him, I thought his post-game interview was uh, was actually pretty telling to who he kind of is, and he was he was apologetic about his previous play, and there's really not a ton for Trey Young to have to apologize about. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, we are headed toward a situation here where Trey Young is going to be evaluated on a game-by-game basis. That'll get a little exhausting. I will say for college basketball, it's probably a good thing. Um, as a quick side tangent here, I mean, by the time you listen to this podcast, I have a a column up on Grayson Allen and it's been a quiet senior season for Grayson Allen. He hasn't had any sort of controversy. He's been just a guy and our focus, at least when it comes to individual players, it hasn't been with Miles Bridges. It's been maybe a little bit with Bagley, a little bit with Aiton, but it's all been about Trey Young. Trey Young yep. has been the player talking point, discussion point this season that will probably continue to be, the, to be the case unless we get something controversial with another player or something with Grayson. But whereas last season with Grayson, it was legitimate in that he was doing these just 
tremendously stupid things. And in my opinion, as I write in the column, he cannot you know, completely make over his reputation, even if he goes the rest of the season without an incident. There are people that are going to forever hate Grayson Allen and view him as a player who trips somebody. But that was a different kind of focal point for a lot of discussion around college basketball. With Trey Young, it was, wow, he's really awesome. And now it's, oh, he's taken 39 shots. He is a detriment to his team sometimes as much as he is good for his team. I do think that can get a little bit old here. And we're going to find that happy medium. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Most importantly, Oklahoma won. And it won with Trey playing the way that he did. Is that the long-term successful strategy? Probably not, and I don't think you're going to see that overall. But I really want to emphasize to anyone that might have seen some of the game, not seen any of the game, just read the stories listening to this podcast, if you watch the way that Oklahoma played that game and you watch the way that Trey played that game, he uh, he was more reserved than he normally is. There's no doubt about that. But he absolutely was doing things within the flow of the offense, and a lot of his teammates were able to step up and play really, really well. Christian James and Brady Manick, most notably, uh, were terrific. And I'm kind of waiting for Kadeem Latin. I guess he is what he is at this point in his career as a senior. Um, I thought he would be better this season. And in fact, Oklahoma to be as good as it is without Kadeem being, you know, a top 15 player in the Big 12 is a little bit surprising to me. But uh, I am with you. I want to see more from Trey. I want to see Trey be Trey. I want to see him do what makes him so good. Uh, but it is interesting to see that they could get this win, yes, at home uh, against Kansas. It was a well-played game from both teams, and now next up will be a road game for Trey at Alabama. We'll preview that on the next podcast on Friday. That will be against Colin Sexton, so you have two star freshman point guards, lottery picks there. That'll be intriguing. We'll see what he can do there. But overall, I didn't have too much of an issue with what he did given the style and the way that Oklahoma was able to win that game. Uh, what's given the Trey Young story life consistently, and it might we might calm down on it at some point, but it's been the twist and turns. First, it was like, oh wow, here's this little guard, not really out of nowhere. He was a five star recruit, but like nobody expected this, and he's making shots and Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, and so then that was the topic. Then it got into holy crap, he's still doing it, and he's leading the nation in points and assists per game. Did you realize nobody's ever done that before? And so then we there, and then it got to, hold up, he's taking 39 shots in a game. He's turning the ball over like crazy. Like in the same week, he took he he set a Big 12 record for turnovers, and I believe a Big 12 record for shots in a game, like 39 shots in a game, 12 turnovers in a game. So then it was like, yo. Kids got to dial it back a little bit, and now it's whoa. He only took nine shots. They won. That's cool, but like, is nine shots really what he ought to be doing? So the twists and turns have given that story life, um, and it is the story in, in college basketball. He is the single person I get asked about more uh, than anybody else, and it is by a wide margin. And to your point about Grayson Allen, like, when's the last time anybody asked you anything about Grayson Allen? We both do radio interviews all the time, where. And, and videos for CBS Sports all the time where we are asked questions. You know, hey, what do you think about Texas Tech start? What do you think about Trey Young? Is he turning the ball over too much? Uh, is Arizona like the team we saw in, in Atlanta, at the Battle for Atlantis or have they figured it out? Are they the Pac-12 favorite? You get all these questions. When's the last time anybody asked you about Grayson Allen? Been a while here. It's yeah. been surprising. That's why I wrote the column just because, frankly, it, it, it's just worth a note. 
You know, we have gotten here to mid to late January. Duke is 18-2. and two. It's actually been an interesting team. There's been a lot of discussion about Duke GP in how they've been able to come back from these second-half double-digit deficits and, and how Marvin Bagley has basically been the player, if not better than everyone expected, how they're, how they're doing this with such a young team and with Grayson. We've talked about Grayson being the only senior. We've talked a little bit on, about him on the podcast. I've said, you know, I think he needs to be, you know, sort of an alpha and at least be um, – uh, the end to, uh, to Bagley's Yang, if you will, if they want to make a final form, win a national championship. But that's been about the extent of it. And it is, it is, it is interesting because they played at Wake Forest on Tuesday night and they got a win. It was just a casual win. I watched the game knowing full well that I was going to write about Grayson Allen, barring something uh, significant happening in that game. And it made me think back. We are almost a year removed from when Duke went to Wake Forest and there was that quick sideline scuffle near the bench. And it was an exam. And that wasn't even like a top five thing that happened in Grayson Allen's season last season. But a year removed from that. And actually, yesterday was the one year anniversary of Duke losing at home to NC State with Dennis Smith, uh, famously, who got that dunk at the end of regulation. You think back to what Duke was a year ago, 3-4 and four in the ACC, Mike Krzyzewski on the bench because of back surgery, or excuse me, not on the bench for a month because of back surgery, and gr- the Grayson Allen experience just being an every-game-review kind of thing, random people on social media going viral because they got a six-second clip of something Grayson did in a game against any given opponent. That's all been wiped away. It has been surprising to see that this has happened, but again, I don't think he's totally repaired his reputation or anything. He has just found a really good uh, chemistry dynamic with this team and has and has basically just put his head down, gone about his business, and remained as uh, in the background as a part of the greater scenery in college basketball this season as anyone could have possibly expected, and at the same time, no one would have expected this. Here's the other thing about Duke. Trivia time. You ready? I am. Name the last time Duke played a currently ranked basketball team is it michigan state or like are you talking about when they played both teams are no. ranked or a team now in the top 25 that they play a, te- a team that is now in the top 25 uh is, is michigan state in the top 25 is it not yes okay, of course so that's, that's my guess uh oh no florida, florida florida you're right it's florida okay november yeah. november 26 it's almost been two months since duke has played a team that's currently ranked that's Since not they a good played look for the ACC, and I understand that some of that schedule and it's coming because we got that'll we'll preview that on the next podcast. We got a huge game, but yeah, that is interesting. I didn't realize that. So they've been all, they've been Duke's never off the national radar. I shouldn't say it like that, but it's been a while since Duke has played. Um, you know, they 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 won at Miami, and Miami I think was ranked at the time, but Miami's not ranked right now. Uh, Florida State I think was ranked at the time, but Florida State. Let me double check this. So I'm not doing stupid wrong trivia uh, again. I love that. Yeah. I don't believe Florida State is ranked right now. They're not. So, yeah. I mean, that you know, Florida State was ranked at the time. Miami was ranked at the time. But if you look at the AP poll right now, or the top 25 and 1 right now, you will not find a, uh, a game played by Duke since November 26, Florida. Um, they haven't played a ranked team since then. And so, obviously, that changes this weekend, and it will be the marquee game on Saturday. Virginia... Uh, at Duke, at Cameron Indoor, and we will discuss that, I'm certain, on Friday's uh, podcast. Let's switch gears because we talked in the last podcast about the Zion Williamson commitment uh, to Duke over a a host of other schools, among them Kentucky. Um, But then on Monday, 
after we had recorded our Sunday night podcast or Monday morning podcast, I should say, uh, John Calipari spoke about um, not spe- I don't I don't know about specifically about Zion's recruitment, but just spoke about recruiting in general. And among other things, this is what he said, quote, I don't sell when you come here, the university and the state will take care of you for the rest of your life. You may buy that. And I've got some great property and some swampland down in Florida to sell you too. Every one of us in this country is based on you have to take care of yourself, prepare yourself. And then when you make it, you make sure you're helping and along the way you're bringing other people with you. That's what we're trying to do. Just give these guys the best opportunity. We're not trying to say this university or state will take care of you for the rest of your life. There's no socialism here. This stuff is you have to go do it and we're going to help you do it. Some like that. Some don't. Clearly, it was a shot at Mike Krzyzewski and Duke or that, at the very least that staff because um, – The brotherhood, man. The brotherhood because as the story goes, um, whether it was to Zion Williamson or I think once upon a time maybe – Hamadou Diallo speak to this. There's another Kentucky player who's spoken about the difference in recruiting when you're being recruited by Duke and by Kentucky. And one of the things that they had said about Duke is Duke talked about life after basketball and you're going to be set for life. And obviously Cal has taken issue with that here. It was pointed in that direction undeniably. Um, What did you make of it? (laughs) You also left out the Billion dollars that that, that, was, that was funny too. That was which funny. is almost two thoughts uh, uh, talking out of both sides of his mouth. By the way, when you're when you're invoking the B, you know, and basically saying this is how much money I can get you if you come to Kentucky. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're exactly right. It's a point I'd made to somebody else. If you're saying it's wrong for Duke to imply you're going to be set for life if you come to Duke, it's also wrong to imply that. You know, John Wall's got a hundred million dollar contract, and so you'll, you know, you're you're on your path to one as well. But uh, to be clear, I don't think either one of them's wrong. I don't really care, but it is a little um, hypocritical to to you know point at what your um, you know former players have done, and then roll your eyes at Duke essentially doing the same thing. I think I, I'm not going to say Cal is gripping because I don't think Calipari's gripping. But here's the situation. They got the Duke's got the top three players in this next class, and given what Cal said in that press conference, I think he was prepared to lose to Clemson, maybe even prepared to lose to South Carolina, given Zion's love of his home state. But Cal was like the rest of us. Did not think if he was going to lose, it was going to be to Duke and, and Krzyzewski. And we have hit a point here where... Mike Krzyzewski is going to have, I believe, with this next class over the past eight seasons, that will mean four number ones for for Cal and four number ones for Krzyzewski, whereas they've been battling together, you know, for a long, long time since Cal got to Kentucky, obviously. But it was always like Kentucky's just a little bit ahead. They're getting just a little bit better players, just a little bit of a better class. Now we're drawn even. Now Kentucky won't have a shot at the top three player in a recruiting class I don't have their their history up in front of me here. Has there been uh, this current class right now would be it right? There was no, they don't have a top three, but before that one, did they have a class that didn't have a top three recruiting it since he got to Kentucky? I do not believe that would be the case, and so now Kentucky fans are obviously freaking out. They you know we want Orlando Antigua back on the staff because he was <laughs> obviously a big time recruiter under Cal, um, and I understand that. 
I, I, I am, I'm all in on Krzyzewski versus Cal when it comes to recruiting and them uh, tossing veiled shots at each other. I don't think you're going to get that from Krzyzewski personally. Uh, but Cal is entertaining as hell with this. And, hey, hey, yeah, absolutely. Be frustrated. Express that. I got no problem with that. You're still going to land a top two class at worst number three. And it brings uh, another plot line to the sport. And it, it's good because uh, I, I, I like the idea of, of, of Cal getting pissed and losing here a little bit. And then coming back the next year um, and just absolutely loading up and the methods in which he'll go about in order to make that happen. Well, he has um, switched up his staff in recent years and and moved John Robick to, um, you know, a, a different role other than one of the on the road recruiting assistants because Robick um, was always more of you know he handled the scouts, um, you know, for for first at Memphis and then at Kentucky. Uh, but wasn't really out there as a as a recruiter, and so you know, Cal made an adjustment for that. But the truth is, um, I, I don't know how much it's changed things because they're still getting elite level recruits. Like, let's not lie to each other. I think they got three top twenty five kids committed right now, um, but they're not recruiting at the same level as Duke anymore, or at the very least, Duke is 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 doing it better than Kentucky's doing it, and that must be weird for John because since he's been at Kentucky, um, he has. First off, he's always been a great recruiter, but it went to another level at Kentucky, and he's, I think, been widely regarded as the best recruiter of student athletes, perhaps in the history of college sports, not just men's basketball. And now suddenly there's a 70-year-old <laughs> doing it better than you're doing it. Like that's a weird – that's a weird deal. And so um, I could see how it might be frustrated. And John tends to, in every season, have these moments where if he doesn't have a fight, he picks a fight. And I, I don't know if this is actually picking a fight because I don't think Kay will respond in any sort of meaningful way. Might not respond at all. Um, but it was an interesting uh, press conference for sure because um, he made it clear that, um, you know, I'm going to recruit the way I recruit and I'm not going to go out there and, and, and tell kids you're set for life if you come to Kentucky. You come to Kentucky and we will put you in the best position to be set for life. But ultimately, that, that's up to you. I would say this, and obviously I'm not in an uh, in-home visit with Mike Krzyzewski and Zion Williamson. But if the point is if you come to Duke, you'll be set for life, and here's why. A, you're going to come to Duke, and like so many other Duke players, you're going to go to the NBA and be a multimillionaire. So you're set for life as long as you don't you know, screw that up. Or B, you're going to spend four years at Duke. You're going to graduate with a, a degree from Duke, and you're going to um, have a certain level of fame because you were a four-year player at Duke. That's going to open up job opportunities for you that even if basketball isn't there, you're a former Duke basketball player with a degree from Duke. You're, you're set for life. Like if that is the, the basic message, like not only do I not have a problem with that, it's, it's probably true, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely, and that's honestly, if you're in the position to make that pitch, you should absolutely be doing that because um, that's going to win you over more recruits than not, and it's going to really uh, hit home with parents and, and guardians. Um, that kind of and 
you can back it up in a lot of ways, uh, particularly the way that Duke runs his program. And there are no doubt listeners that are just like they can't stand Duke and anything, and they hate the brotherhood and all this. And they're going to point out, hey, they, yeah, this this is going to set you up for life until you end up transferring. That's another deal altogether. <laughs> Duke has certainly taken on a lot more transfers um, in the past six, seven years than it ever had before. But it's uh, it's absolutely valid, um, and. I just I can't wait for the next stage. I think this summer could get pretty interesting when it comes to this kind of stuff. Would love to hear Shashevsky really unfiltered on this. You're never going to get that. Um, I'd be surprised if you did, but it would be uh, it would be interesting nonetheless. But yeah, this was uh, it was good to see. I like how Cal is just never scared when it comes to this stuff. He'll speak out um, in his own his own kind of way, and so he's done so. And I think that's uh, that's pretty great. GP, real quick here before we uh, tr- uh, transition, because we had news break while we're recording this podcast. Um, Phil, Phil Booth at Villanova, who missed all of last season, I, I guess. Uh, he has a fractured bone in his hand, his right hand, and he's out indefinitely. Um, that's an interesting turn of events because Booth is a – a very good, uh, I would even put him above role player. Uh, he's he's an important player on that team. Villanova is obviously number one in the country right now, even though Virginia, Purdue, and Duke are certainly seen as uh, on Villanova's heels. I think the Wildcats are fairly evaluated as the clear-cut best team in college basketball. That could change if Booth uh, it remains out indefinitely, the dynamics of that team. They are well-equipped to, I think, survive without him. But uh, that's certainly you know an unwanted um, turn of events here for Jay Wright's team. So this is literally breaking as we do this podcast. I, f- I figured it was warranting a mention there. And too bad for Phil Booth who missed out all of last season, and now hopefully he'll be back in time. Because when it, when you get down to it, having a player of his caliber literally could be the difference between winning a national semifinal and getting to that title game or not. Oh sure, like um, they they'll be good without him. They've been good without him before. They'll be good without him now. Um, but when the goal is to try to cut nets on the first Monday in April for the second time in a three-year period, and that should be the goal when you are ranked number one in the country and operating at the level at which they're operating, um, losing a player like this is, I don't want to say it's devastating, but it's its certainly not good. Um, you know, I, I get asked sometimes because we've settled into this narrative of, um, you know, there's no great teams in the country. And I, I – I think there's no scary teams like 2015 Kentucky was just scary. They were great. And like, oh, my God, there's a pro. There's another lottery pick. There's another one. There's another pro and another pro. And they've got veterans. They've got elite level freshmen like that. 2012 Kentucky scary team. What are you going to do with these guys? Anthony Davis like that's not even fair. I don't think there's a scary team in the country. One that you look at and you go, what are we going to do with those guys? Because typically scary um, – translates to like they've got a bunch of pros um you know villanova uh, mikhail bridges is a pro is there another first round pick on that team I maybe think Brunson not can turn into one personally he, he, he could he could but it's certainly not guaranteed right. I, I i do think he'll be in the nba like well, you'll look up um one day and you'll have an nba game on and you'll be like oh he's coming off the bench for toronto you know it'd be something like that but uh I, I mean i don't want to put a season on him but that's that's what he could obviously be the best point guard in the history of the sport i just I, my, <laughs> no he can't but continue. My, uh, my point was that i do think he'll be in the nba even if i'm not sure he's a first round draft pick but like you look at the Villanova team like how many guaranteed first round picks probably one uh Virginia is ranked number two in the country now how many first round picks maybe zero Purdue uh, ranked number three in the country right now how many first round picks probably zero so I don't know that there's a scary team but Villanova's great 
I mean, Villanova is sitting here as a one-loss team on January 24th, and the one loss was on the road in a game in which the opponent shot 68% from three-point range, and they still had a chance to win the game. You were there. Yeah. And, and so the idea that the only L on your resume comes in a game when your quality opponent on the road makes 15 three-pointers on you, shoots them at a rate of 68%, and, and you still like, didn't get run off the court? Like That means you're great. So that's a great team, and to lose uh, a player like Phil Booth for however long they lose him, um, obviously not good. It will also, and I will – uh, there's nothing funny about this story, but this is funny. I cannot wait to my buddy John for my buddy John Rostein to tweet every Villanova game. Phil Booth is not expected to play. <laughs> Do you remember when he did that? No, I actually don't. He was he tweeted that last year. Dude, every game we we actually laugh about it in studio every time Phil Booth popped up on a highlight. We'd be like, look, Rostein is Phil Booth. Is he expected to play tonight? <laughs> and so now, so now we get back to. Uh, to, oh, to, man, to, to Phil Booth. Phil Booth is not expected to play tonight per Jay Wright. <laughs> like, it was like, dude, he's not playing. Okay, he's never playing. Phil, uh. Booth is not, Phil Booth is not expected to play tonight per Jay Wright. So I can't wait for the Rossi tweets. I can't wait to text him and tell him, Phil Booth! Phil yeah. Booth is injured again. But um, uh, don't, don't misinterpret my laughter. I'm not laughing about injuries. I'm just laughing about tweets. Um, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to do it now, and that's with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or you just need to find a perfect gift for somebody. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices it's fully guaranteed and listeners of this podcast you can get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase when you go download that app and use the promo code college bb so if you don't have the app already shame on you if you do have the app but you haven't purchased yet make sure to next time you're buying tickets to anything nba game college basketball game football game concert doesn't matter Use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. What SeatGeek does is search multiple ticket sites for you, so you're saving time and you're saving money. They're going to find you the best seats, the best value, and again, everything is fully guaranteed. So go get that app, and next time you're uh, looking for tickets to something, make sure to use it. And if you're buying tickets for the first time via SeatGeek, promo code COLLEGEBB is going to save you 20 bucks. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So Norlander, you uh, had been working for a while on a story um, related to the Butler basketball program on the on the late Andrew Smith, um, and it ends up being a story about about Andrew Smith, uh, Deacon St- uh, Scott, and and Chase DeGaulle. and uh, you published it yesterday. Um, it, it was it, it tremendously done, and uh, just an unbelievable story. Sort of about how something good can come from something that was so bad. And I don't want to uh, summarize it too simply, but first, I wanted to tell you you did a nice job with it. And secondly, give you an opportunity to explain uh, to people um, why you did it, what's it about, uh, if they haven't read it yet. Yeah, thanks, bud. I appreciate that. Um, I won't uh, totally recap the story here because one, that would take too long. Two, I want you to actually read it. Uh, but I'll, I'll, 
give a little background here um, as as to everything with that. So if there's anyone that's new to the podcast or maybe new to reading our coverage at CBSSports.com, back in 2015, Andrew Smith, who you know went to uh, Butler, played there four years, played in both national championship games uh, under Brad Stevens and all that, he um, had defeated cancer and actually had collapsed months after he first defeated cancer and uh, had heart failure, was unconscious for 22 minutes. The story that we're referencing right now, there's a link to that story, which is also absolutely ridiculous and amazing uh, that I covered in 2015. So because of that, I just wound up, you know, just staying in touch with... uh, with Andrew's uh, now widow, because he the cancer eventually returned. He died in January 2016. We just passed the two-year anniversary of uh, of his death, and um, and you know as he was facing that cancer battle, uh, he needed a bone marrow transplant, and so. Because of that, he was speaking with a doctor, and the doctor told him, if your wife uh, was in this position, his wife Samantha um, is of mixed race and uh, an ethnic background, and the donor registry um, with Be The Match just does not have a lot of people, of a lot of minorities on it. And uh, this made him pretty upset, and um, because of this, as he was facing his battle, and, and even, you know, I sat down with Brad Stevens for all this, he said, you know, when I went and saw him, a few days before he died, this is, you know, he's talking through the tubes and through all this, you know, this stuff in the hospital room. And, you know, I'm sitting there glassy eyed and he's talking about how he wants to help other people. He wants other people to live. He wants people uh, of every uh, walk of life, every race to have a chance at a, at a bone marrow transplant so they don't have to suffer the same fate that he was facing. He actually did receive a transplant, but because his cancer was so fast acting, uh, the leukemia, the, actually the transplant ever never actually got to do what it was supposed to do. And so because of all this, um, they decided he was advocating for people to sign up with Be the Match before he died. Uh, spoke uh, at Hinkle Fieldhouse and all and all of this stuff. And eventually, they started Project Forty Four. He wore number forty four, and the goal is to save forty four lives through bone marrow transplants and 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 donations and stem cell um, uh, work. And so. The first, so there's a sign-up sheet, right? The first time that Project 44 actually like comes into place is at his Celebration of Life slash Memorial Service. Stevens gave the eulogy. There's there's uh, footage of that on the video that accompanies the story and all that stuff. It's it's pretty awesome. And Samantha set up the tables, put the registration sheets there. Dozens of people signed up that day. Former teammates, friends in the community, and all of that. And one of the people that signed up was Chase DeGaulle, who started alongside Andrew in the national championship game in 2011, but that Butler uh, played against UConn. And, you know, it was, this isn't in the story at all, but I talked with Stevens about Chase. He's like, Chase was just so giving. And what people don't realize about Chase is he actually had an up-and-down college career. Like, he played less as a junior and senior than he did his first two years, but he was such an unselfish guy and really a, a consummate team player. And Stevens was talking about how, like, guys like Andrew and Chase specifically, like, we had Gordon Hayward, and he was great, and we had Shelvin Mack, and he was really good, and Ron Norad was a coach on the floor. He was really good. And uh, Matt Howard, you know, arguably the best four-year career of any Butler player ever. But it's because of guys like Chase and Andrew, that's actually why we went to Final Fours because we absolutely needed guys with their mindset and their kind of games to get us there. It was uh, it was enlightening to hear Stevens go on and on about that. Um, unfortunately, just didn't really fit in the in the framework of the story. So Chase signs up at Andrew's memorial of of, uh, of a celebration of life, his memorial service, and uh, amazingly, like there were so many people that signed up. 
of all the people to get a call and say you had gotten a match, Chase was the first one, and it happened to be someone that played with Andrew, and he was you know potentially saving uh, the life of a of a young boy who was two at the time, Deegan Scott, whose story is depicted in uh, is in the story, and it was uh, it was amazing to hear uh, Samantha and Chase uh, recall uh, that particular. Um, part of their lives because this also isn't in the story but Andrew and Samantha received the most courageous reward on behalf of the United States Basketball Writers Association that's handed out every year at the Final Four there's a big luncheon um, you know just different awards are handed out and uh, the courageous ones like it's the big one and it had never been given to two people before and it had never been given to someone not directly uh, affiliated with college basketball at the time they were receiving the award Andrew had already died Samantha obviously never played uh, college basketball so it was an unprecedented thing and only a few weeks after that was when Chase got the call, and it's it's kickstarted this whole thing. Um, Deegan Scott, the boy who was saved, is the youngest of seven children, and uh, none of his siblings were a match. Um, I went out to their house in Salem, Ohio, which is, I think, about 30 minutes uh, from the Pennsylvania border, and um, it was... Uh, it was pretty uh, amazing to to hear his mother Amy uh, talk about that. I talked with his siblings, um, interviewed them. So, some of the stuff didn't quite make the story, but it was uh, a, a very powerful thing. the The biggest thing from all this is that the story. I'm very appreciative of everyone that's read it and 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 shared some nice comments. But the be the match people reached out to me on Wednesday morning and said, since this went up, we've had a significant rise in signups and registrations. And I mentioned this, I think, a few weeks ago on the podcast, but um, basically what's at work here is that you you might, you listening to this podcast right now, you are walking around with DNA that could potentially save the life of another person who has cancer, could get cancer, someone that's maybe not even born yet that will get cancer. Um, you just don't know it. And all this requires is for you to go to bethematch.com and, and just let them know that you want to sign up. Some people might not qualify because of any given health issues or family history. That's totally fine. It's not your fault. It's, it just is what it is. Uh, if you're pregnant, um, that's another thing. Like just don't worry about it. Like you could have an opportunity down the road. Um, but what's happened here is more and more people are becoming aware of the fact that you swab your cheek, you send back the kit. And then there's a 1 in 430 chance that you're going to actually ever have to donate. And it's not painful. That's the one thing. I depict a scene in the story where uh, at that Villanova-Butler game, at that very game was the Be the Match Awareness Day. And Project 44, hey, this is why we're here. Samantha told the story of Deegan Scott and the fact that his life was saved and all of that. And there's a, a woman in her early 20s standing outside the sign where you would go in and register and she didn't know, like, I was just walking around. I totally caught this by happenstance. But she's talking there with a the guy next to her, and she goes, I can't do it. I'm just way too chicken shit to do this. I don't want to do it. I'm scared. I think, I, it's, you know, it could, it could hurt or whatever. thing is, it doesn't really hurt. Chase described it to me as, like, they had to take marrow out of my hip because specifically because it was a young boy. But sometimes they don't even need to go into your hip. It's just, you know, you're getting blood drawn. And it's not really that painful at all. And with him, he said, it was like I took a charge. Like I took right. a charge in a game. It was sore for a couple of days after that, but it wasn't any anything uh, big. So if you are hesitant, you really should not be. Um, you quite literally could save someone else's life. And if someone sat you down and said, hey, listen, if you are willing to draw your blood uh, and take you know, two quick trips to your local blood clinic, have your blood drawn, and do something that will, you know, cost you maybe two and a half hours of your life, but it will literally save someone else's life. Would you do it? Well, pretty much every single person listening to this podcast would do that. You can text 
Andrew, just the word Andrew, to 38470. That will get you on the Project 44 uh, registry specifically, or at least it will it will kickstart that uh, that whole process. And they're they're aiming to get you know about 19,000 people on this because statistically, if they get to 19,000 because of that one in 430 shot. I'm getting called. That's how you uh, get to 44 life saved. So Deegan Scott was the first life saved under Project 44. That was the impetus for doing the story. It is uh, it is an amazing one. It's an incredible one. And uh, I highly recommend, uh, if you haven't read it yet, please do. Please share it. This has uh, been pretty cool to see so many people be inspired to to sign up. And then others who already have. I mean, I had people reaching out saying, I lost... Uh, my brother to acute myeloid leukemia, which is what Deegan's got beat. Um, others saying, you know, I've got a son who had it and he's he's beaten it. Um, C.J. Moore over at the Fieldhouse, uh, in uh, coordination with the Athletic, has a story up right now about Malik Newman befriending a boy seven years old who uh, who beat acute myeloid uh, leukemia. It's a really great story. I highly recommend you go and check that out as well. So that's uh, that's a long-winded way of explaining some of the background with the story. My thanks to Brad Stevens. I'll be dead honest with you. I don't think there's another NBA coach out there that would have what he did in regard to helping out with the story, agreeing to sit down on camera and and talk uh, extensively about uh, everything in regard to this, uh, particularly because the Celtics are in the middle of of quite the interesting season. And uh, for a little bit of more context, he did this interview literally the day before Isaiah Thomas uh, was going to make his return. He didn't end up playing in that game, but it was in the context of giving the interview, there was a lot going on with the Celtics at that point. So Brad uh, was just terrific with all of that. And then Samantha, first and foremost, she is uh, she's awesome. She's an awesome person, uh, really courageous what she she does to get uh, continue to get the word out there. And a lot of people behind the scenes, Michael Kaltenmark, Chrissy Edgington, an uh, in, in affiliation with Butler, they were they were great. And then obviously our bosses were just awesome to uh, to do this, not just the story, but the video component, like. You know, the plan is to have this air on CBS Sports Network in February and potentially even have it air on CBS uh, for the NCAA tournament if uh, if the situation arises and we can do it because that's what we want. We want to start doing some more of this kind of stuff. So it's uh, it was an honor to get to tell the story, and thanks to everyone that reached out, and uh, thanks for letting me uh, – kind of gab on the podcast here about a gp i might have just set a personal record i think i've been going like 10 minutes i can keep going if you want <laughs> nah, that's enough that's enough no in all seriousness i thought it was very important the point you made in the story that hey this doesn't hurt this isn't a big deal from your perspective it's a massive deal from another person's perspective they need you like they, they need you to save their life but from your perspective it's not a big deal and it, it doesn't hurt and i i do think that's um a mental hurdle that people um, sometimes just can't get past, the young woman in your story being a perfect example. So taking just a few words to make sure folks understand, um, you could literally save somebody's life and it really isn't painful. You're not going to be hospitalized for three weeks. Um, I think it's important for people to know because uh, that could be the thing that prevents somebody from signing up. It is, it's at least the thing that prevented one person from signing up yeah. uh, on that day. You, you notice that. And if, if, if you can alleviate that concern, I think you did alleviate that concern for people who read the story, then I think by extension, you get more people signing up than otherwise um, would. And as the father of three sons, but one, you know, two are, are young. I have a four-year-old and a 15-month-old. You just think about, you know, th- there's nothing about Deacon Scott's story that couldn't apply to my own children. Like, you know, yes, they, that was uh, he, very hard to write from this perspective, having a two year old son. Yeah. That, that family just was, uh, first unfortunate and then very fortunate because of chase, but uh, just unlucky, you know, there's families 
you know, I, I live in Memphis, which is where St. Jude is. I've spent a lot of time over at that hospital, and it is just an amazing place. Um, but but it, it is also, I mean, you see these families just going through things you never, ever, ever imagined going through. Like your whole world is flipped upside down, and you have this very real fear that you're going to lose your um, your child um, because that happens to families um, every day. And you know, when you, I think, become aware, thanks to the work Samantha's doing, thanks to this story being told in, in such a, a large and um, uh, perfect way, uh, when you realize, hold up, I could maybe be the person that prevents that. Like, like all I got to do is is maybe just sign up for something and, and someday I could really be the person who saves another person's life, maybe even a child's life. And, and, and somebody might save my child's life one day. Like I, I don't, I honestly do not understand why you wouldn't at least try to sign up. Like you said, there might be something in your, um, in, in your medical history that prevents you from, from signing up. And then you did the best you could. But I on it, like I don't understand why somebody wouldn't be an organ donor. You know, when you go get your driver's license and they say, do you want to be an organ donor? I don't understand how you say no to that. You could really save somebody's life uh, in that case by doing nothing other than, hey, you're dead anyway. Um, but in, in this case, like you could really genuinely, literally save somebody's life. Um, you know, Chase did that for Deegan. And while I know that family will uh, be appreciative of him forever – just think about how that must make Chase feel. I mean, like, yeah. you, you know, it gives you some purpose as well outside of whatever um, you know p- purpose you otherwise would have had. And so, um, I would encourage everybody, like really everybody, uh, go sign up. There's not there's not a good reason not to, and there's a whole bunch of good, great reasons to actually do it. I agree. And we will be back with a podcast on Friday. Uh, we'll, if there's anything that happens here Wednesday or Thursday night that's worth uh, recapping, we'll do that. But then we've got a, a pretty damn interesting weekend coming ahead, so we'll do a lot of uh, looking ahead of those games, making predictions and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, I will uh, – because you travel back Thursday, right? The travel schedule is, is, on, is, on, is on pace I will here. Be, I will be traveling back on Thursday, then hosting for CBS Sports Radio on Friday morning. So we might need a podcast Thursday night or it'll be Friday afternoon. But we'll figure that out on our own time. All right. Sounds good, babe. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast and rate it favorably. Five stars and nice comments. For instance, somebody wrote uh, within the past couple of days, I love Parrish Norlander. That's perfect. We'll take that. Uh, love for Parrish and Norlander is, is perfect and uh, appreciated. So, yeah, please go rate it uh, favorably if you haven't done that uh, already. Subscribe if you haven't done that already. Already. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. And we will talk to you again a little later on this week. Till then, take care.